0: To another episode of the Away Days podcast. As always, I'm Nate, live from the closet lathe. Back again, this time from his grandparents' house once more. I don't know if his Wi-Fi issues or what. Back at the house, but uh, glad to have you on board again. And we're gonna go ahead and jump right into it. The biggest week of college football by far. Won't even pretend to consider talking about soccer first here, Lay. And I know. We had the away days rivalry week matchup, Georgia and Auburn, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. I'm chomping at the bit to give you some give you some shit for that. But got to start off with what really were the headlines of, again, potentially the best Saturday of college football I can remember going back a long time. Huge games across the board, close games across the board. I want to start with the Nooner, OU Texas, Red River Showdown, biggest comeback in that rivalry's history as Oklahoma – rallies to beat texas 55 to 48 Lath, i know both you and i had texas in this game but forget about who we predicted to win just give me what your thoughts on that game and and what an amazing finish that was oh super fun game
1: to watch it kind of went back to the classic what you think of when you think of big 12 games high offense nosy defense whatsoever but I, i don't know how much you got to watch of this game but the game changed when they sat spencer rattler who we've been saying is overrated, and then they put in Caleb Williams, and he kind of came and got him back into this
0: one. Yeah, you talk about the uh, classic Big 12. I know the over-under was surprisingly low given a historical Big 12 uh, match. I think it was like in the low 70s, um, and that just got absolutely annihilated as over um Over 100 points were scored, I think, in this one, or maybe high 90s. My math is really bad there. I'm literally looking at 55-48, and I'm incapable of talking and adding it together in my head at the same time. But you're right, Caleb Williams coming in 15-24, 211 yards, two touchdowns. Um, When I first picked up this game, um, because I was actually at a – pioneer league game I don't even know if that's NAIA or what but I was at a Presbyterian college football game for the early part of this Saturday and I might talk a little bit about what was a very interesting experience at that game but um, so when I picked this up I saw Caleb Williams in the game and I didn't know if Rattler got hurt or he got benched but yeah it looks like he just straight up got benched and that was the right decision um, as Oklahoma was able to claw their way back into the game. But yeah, they go from an offense that was averaging, I think, only around 30-something points a game prior to that um, with a couple of duds, you know, against a team like West Virginia and and a few others, and then, boom, offensive explosion, 55 points. Um, and poor Texas. Not that I'm one to pity Texas at all, really, but they look like they absolutely had it locked up. One of my friends who's a subtle Texas fan was talking shit in the, in the group chat. I was like, yeah, it's not over yet, dude, but, yeah, it's looking <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Oklahoma outscoring Texas in the second half, 35-10. to 10. Yeah, That's that's how you complete a comeback there. But um, I know you're not the biggest gambling type there, but a pretty tough beat at the very end as well in the way that Oklahoma finally won. So they've got the ball driving, you know, looking like they're probably going to settle for, for a chip shot field goal that's going to win the game. They're down to where you basically only run the ball. Texas has no timeouts. And then they bust like a 30-yard touchdown run, which ends up covering – the uh, the uh, the spread, which I think was OU um, minus four and a half, I think. So Texas betters hurting um, pretty bad after that. But Lath, question for you: Does this change the way we feel about Oklahoma um, through, I guess, what is six weeks into the season, where they've been disappointing so far? But is this when does that do enough to make you really think of them as a as a playoff a team that should be and will be in the college football playoff? Uh, I still don't think that they should be in the college football
1: playoffs. I am a lot more – I mean, I think that they will make it at this point because it's hard for me to imagine anyone else stopping them. I think Texas, for both of us, was kind of the team that we thought would get the job done and was one of the tougher teams on their schedule. I know there's an Oklahoma State team that's currently undefeated, but watching a few of those games, they don't look too impressive to me. So I think in terms of the path, I think they've gotten through kind of the hurdle and it kind of seems like it might be smooth sailing for them from here on out.
0: But do we st- do you still think of them as a team that they'll make the playoff and then get blown out by Alabama, Georgia, whoever oh. they end up playing in that first game? Or
1: yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that they're a team that's just not going to be able to compete with tougher teams in the league. I mean, this is this is a conference that's we've talked about. It's falling apart. Uh, the level of just the level of play there is not optimal to the other to the other conferences. So. I think that this is a team that they'll sneak in, and then like you said, I think it'll be one of those early blowout games
0: where people start to question why they're in there in the first place. Yeah. I will say, of the few teams remaining, and we'll have this discussion a little bit more in depth when we talk about Georgia, as a Georgia fan and Georgia sitting at number one in the country, I don't necessarily... I don't think I'd want to see a number four Oklahoma compared to some of these other teams that might get in. Um, That offense, especially in this game, if they keep rolling with, uh, with Williams... Like, that offense scares me more than certainly like a team like Iowa does. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, looking at Oklahoma, the rest of their schedule, they have a few games. When we talked about it in past pods, it's it was the Texas game, and then their last three games of the season really present the toughest challenge. Um, they'll host – or, excuse me, travel to Baylor, which looks like an easier game than it did a couple weeks ago after Baylor lost last week. Then they host Iowa State and then travel to Oklahoma State for the in-state rivalry. Um, against the Pokes there, but yeah, big win for Oklahoma. Again, I'm I do not think I'm really drinking the Kool Aid too much on them yet, but that's a, just another classic edition of of that rivalry. And I know when we made our picks about this, we both did pick Texas, but I remember saying like I'm leaning Texas, but man, OU like owns this rivalry, and that kind of reared its head again. I don't know if there's something psychological at this point in Texas's head that they just can't can't really do it against Boomer Sooner, but. I feel like I've seen a lot because you saw the picture of, of Williams wearing the golden cowboy hat at the end. When I think about that hat, I think of, you know, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. I can't remember the last time I remember a Texas player wearing one of those. So they really have dominated that rivalry as of late. And then talk about Big 12 offenses exploding a former, I guess that was, what was that? The old school Big 12 that had Arkansas and Texas. What was that conference oh, called? The, uh,
1: the Southwestern Conference.
0: Yeah, Southwestern. Well, Arkansas kind of reverting back to its Big 12 roots, going down in a really close and an awesome finish in a shootout against Ole Miss. Rebels winning 52-51 after Arkansas scores with the last seconds of the game and then proceed to go for two to go for the win. A call which I agree with. Curious, your thoughts there, Lay. But I, I didn't, I had complaints about the play they ran, if I'm an Arkansas fan, but I don't have any issue with trying to win it right there.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought the same thing. I thought if you're going to make it here, this is your chance to win because I don't think that if they got into overtime, that they were going to have the kind of offensive power, firepower that Ole Miss does. But just looking at this game, man, if you're a Georgia fan, you really got to be feeling good watching this, knowing you held this Hogs offense to no points. The week before and then they come in and put up 51 on Ole Miss that's just man that's that just really speaks volumes about this the sheer
0: talent on that Georgia D yeah this uh again I wasn't the biggest proponent I guess is the or the biggest you know believer in that Arkansas offense, I thought that Texas A&M, their victory over them was more about A&M being bad. And believe me, we've got a new opinions maybe on A&M here. That we'll get to. <laughs> but this was an impressive offensive showing for Arkansas, certainly. But I'm with you as far as, as the go for going for two. It's not that I don't think Arkansas had a chance in overtime because usually you, when you have teams that go for it, go for two in that situation, they feel like they're the underdog. They feel like their best chance is right now to go do it. I just think that in overtime, there was no chance Arkansas was ever going to keep Ole Miss out of the end zone. So basically, you were going to have to go for two to beat them at some point anyway. Or even worse, in OT at some point, go for two just to tie if Ole Miss were to score first and get the two-point conversion or whatever. So, agree with the the decision. Play call pretty tough. Just had KJ Jefferson kind of slowly rolling out to his right, try to get one of those little pick plays. But I hate that play call in those situations sometimes because... When you have that natural rollout to the right, it immediately eliminates any left side of the field route, if mm. there ever was one. Now all of a sudden, the defense only has to cover half the field. Like if you can cover that little guy out of the back or out of the backfield, and and that tight end over the top, like that's two guys you got covered, and they're, everybody's so close at that yeah. point too. Like it's really hard to fit one in there. And a guy like KJ Jefferson, maybe you'd like to see him. Tuck it and run, but Ole Miss kind of had that snuffed out too. Um, so didn't didn't love the play call in Arkansas. They pay for it going down again in a really close one. That's I can't remember the last time I saw a one point victory. Um, it's usually something you see in the NFL, but uh, Ole Miss getting a big win at home. Um, you know, probably their their biggest win of the season and a, and a big get up. Both of these were kind of get up off the mat wins yeah. or, or was going to be a big get off the mat game for both of them. Arkansas again, you mentioned getting shut out and blown out in Athens, and then Ole Miss coming off a loss to Alabama where we thought they'd look a little better, but they, uh, they're they able to rebound success- successfully. Um, that kind of continues an up-and-down SEC you know, narrative where we thought Ole Miss was something before the Bama game. They get blown out, then they win this one. Arkansas beating A&M, we thought that was a great win at the time. Then A&M goes and loses to Mississippi State, and you don't think Arkansas is that good. They get blown out by Georgia, and then they play Ole Miss pretty well. And on top of all of that, the biggest headline in the country, if you don't know what happened in <laughs> Alabama A&M, then you are not I mean, you were living under a rock because primetime CBS – Alabama, number one team in the nation, goes down. Nick Saban's first loss to an unranked team in God knows how long. Their first loss period since 2019. AM gets it done 41-38 in a crazy game that had a blocked punt for a touchdown, a kick, the ensuing kickoff run back by AM. But I want to narrow this this thinking about this game to a couple of points here, Lathe. First and foremost. Last week you said about a and that you were quote-unquote confounded by the lack of performance from this Jimbo Fisher team that has all the talent in the world, has been the top five recruiting class the past four years. How much more confounded are you by them right now? Well, this one
1: kind of makes me feel a little bit justified because, you know, I mean, you're, I had alluded to kind of the talent and thinking that these were going to be closer or better games for them early on. You know, I was starting to doubt myself. You, you, they start lose, they lose to Mississippi State. I'm like, man, am I just, am I wrong on this take? And then you see him come out and have the performance that you know that they're capable of. I mean, Calzada looked like a completely different quarterback back there. Uh, people were, I remember when he got hurt, kind of late on in the game, people were just worried. You could see the look of worry on everyone's face that he wasn't going to come back. And then two weeks prior to that, they were chanting, wanting him to be taken out of the game. So, I mean, that, that tells a little bit about how fickle some college football fans are. But, yeah, looking at this team, I think it kind of finally – I feel a lot better about my, my initial take on this team.
0: Well, looking at the way that AM won, so didn't really rush the ball all that effectively. Leading rusher Isaiah Spiller, who is a certified baller, like one yeah. of the best running backs in the SEC. 17 carries, only 46 yards, did get a touchdown. But, again, averaging under three yards per carry um, – devin a who's pro i think has made his case for the fastest man in college football <laughs> um, with that kickoff return and some of the other plays he was able to make catching the ball but he got seven carries for just 34 yards um and so AM held to well under 100 so but but you're right zach calzada the much maligned calzone as i called him making fun of him two weeks ago 21 for 31 285 yards three touchdowns and he did have an interception but this is one of those where you know, you think about past games that Bama has lost, and you got to go back a little bit. Um, so certainly before last season, since they went undefeated, but usually it takes a special kind of atmosphere and a certain kind of magic in the air for them to go down. And the atmosphere certainly brought it. Um, but the but the play on the field, I didn't think really like usually it takes a crazy player or two. And yeah, there was a kickoff return that I think proved so critical. I mean, obviously on the scoreboard it did. They ended up only winning by three. But in terms of the momentum, because when Alabama blocked that punt and landed on it in the end zone for a touchdown, I mean, I thought it. I saw a bunch of people on Twitter saying, mm. all right, A&M, hope you enjoyed it while it lasts because it's yeah. going one way right here. Like Alabama finally turned the momentum around. I think – I don't know if that gave them the lead after that, but it certainly – it either tied it or gave them the lead. You know, I thought it was downhill for sure after that, and credit to A&M, not even a play later house call from the end zone, Devin Chain on the kickoff return, but yeah, just I don't know what to make of this A&M team. I will just say I'm, I'm pretty glad Georgia doesn't have to play them. <laughs> I, I don't think that we would lose if we did play them, but going into College Station, 104,000 or whatever it is, it's 100 plus, that's not a place you want to go uh, if you know you have to win a football game, and, and Bama fell victim to it a little bit, but And, you know, well, like the stats don't really show it, but this
1: A&M defense got after Bryce Young. I think he got sacked a total like four or five times, but it very well could have been in eight or nine. I mean, they put so much pressure on him. I saw him have to throw the ball away. He just looked uncomfortable the whole night. So, again, I know they ended up scoring 38 on him, but that was a much better defensive showing uh, than the stats would say if you didn't watch
0: this game. Yeah, A&M with four sacks. And you're right, they – I think – Brad Nessler alluded to it on the call at some point in the game. Basically, A&M kind of found a way of of loading one side of the offensive line with, with three defenders and sending two of them, but never kind of mixing up each play which two it was going to be. And they were able to consistently, you're right, bring some pressure and get in Bryce Young's face, and they it did it result in four sacks. But the Bama offense still, like did what the Bama offense has done the past few years. If you look at Bryce Young's stat line, 28 of 48, 369 yards and three touchdowns. Then on the ground, Brian Robinson, that dude's a beast for, yeah. for Bama number four. 24 carries, 147 yards, um, no touchdowns, though. Uh, no rushing touchdowns for Alabama. Granted, they, they put up 38, which is which is a lot, but i you'd have to go a long way back to find a game where Alabama didn't record a rushing touchdown. Hmm. Um, but Without getting just super deep into the the playoff prediction talk, because I kind of hate that, and it has its place, you know, once we actually start to get to some playoff rankings and we get later in the seasons, but I don't really think so right now. But I know this is going to be impossible for you to answer as an Auburn fan, but try to put yourself <laughs> in the shoes of a Bama fan for just a second. Does this game – how worried would you be about this game? Because I don't know that it affects – their season outlook a ton, but it definitely showed some cracks where we didn't think they were before. Yeah, I think
1: the only thing that this would affect, because I at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Georgia and Bama in that title game, the SEC title game. But I think at this point now you can't afford, if you're Bama, to lose that game because I don't know if they would put a two-loss Bama team back in that fourth spot. I think if Georgia were to go in and lose that game, if that was their only loss in the year, then yeah, they could take that fourth spot. But Bama, I think at this point with this going on, it, it, there's a little less controlling your own destiny, and you really need to uh, to be able to see things through at that point.
0: Well, they do control their own destiny at least until they make it to Atlanta. Should they should they do that? Because because Texas A and M did lose to Mississippi State, Alabama. You know they they do if they went out they will still go to the conference title game whereas if A and M's only loss in the SEC was to Arkansas they would actually have the they'd be tied with Alabama in in, season, in SEC losses and have the head to head over them but that Mississippi State loss they're going to be kicking themselves um, for that one for sure um, but yeah A and M crazy atmosphere as well you know and and I think Bama closed as over two touchdown favorites in this game so credit to to jimbo and and the gang for you know he called a shot in the summer everybody called him called him an idiot and a jackass for saying oh we're gonna we're gonna beat their ass i think is what he said about about nick saban and nick Saban famously responded like what at golf you know and, (laughs) and nobody believed it i don't i doubt honestly if jimbo at the time really believed that they would but they get it done a big win and yeah, I didn't certainly expect this to be that good of a game, much less an upset, because I remember when I turned on the Georgia game at, at 3.30, getting ready to hear Brad Nessler and, and and Gary Danison. I was like, wait, they're not at this game? I was like, oh, they're at the 8 p.m. Bama a and I was like, why? <laughs> this is a much better game, I would think. But not yeah. the CBS execs knowing, knowing a little more than I do, I guess.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing also from this game is you finally have – uh, one of Saban's underlings beating him for the first time. I know Saban was twenty four and zero against his former coaches going to this game. I thought it would be Kirby Smart that knocked him off, but
0: uh, Jimbo gets the job done. Yeah, see, I think if you asked everybody, they'd think it'd be Kirby. But I think just that almost just makes sense that it wouldn't be. You know, I think yeah. I think it almost makes more sense that it would have been a Kiffin or a Jimbo or or somebody you're not necessarily expecting like like that. You know. Um because cause you're right, I mean, everybody, I think, expected Georgia to eventually be the team to do it. But I think there's just something kind of poetic about it, just being these the underdog A&M team, getting it done. Um, but moving over to the Big Ten, where an underdog did not get it done, uh, and I'm very happy about that because that gives me some more uh, freedom up at the top of our picks in my head-to-head ranking against you there, Lay. My Iowa Hawkeyes getting it done 23 to 20 at home in a number 3 versus number 4 matchup. Not sure how much of this game you watched Lay, but I was extremely fortunate actually to end up with this win. Yeah. Uh, Sean Clifford, the quarterback of Penn State, going down in the third quarter. Unsure of how long he's going to be out, but Penn State fans better pray that it's not long because they were a completely Different team without him. Backup Taquan Roberson comes in with 7 of 21 for just 34 yards and two interceptions. Iowa defense able to turn him over. Now, this Iowa offense isn't special by any means. Looking at their no. stat line 17 of 31 for Spencer Petrus, 195 yards, two TDs, and interception. But the Penn State defense did everything you asked, holding Iowa to 10 points in the first half, and heck, 13 through three quarters. But Iowa outscores the Nittany Lions ten to nothing in the fourth quarter to take home the win and get a big win, both for me betting and for me against you there, Lay.
1: Yeah, and this was another one I kind of watched the tail end of it because it was going on during our game. Um, But yeah, uh, quarterback goes out and it becomes pretty obvious that this is going to be in Iowa's court. And man, it's just so frustrating uh, because I was really—I mean, not that it really matters for Auburn at this point—but I was really hoping that. Penn State would be a team to kind of give people trouble and be in the mix uh, at least for a while but this this Iowa team I don't I'm, I'm not too excited about it you alluded to the the kind of poor offensive performance and it's just it's it's an old school style offense it's almost even more of the kind of uh power eye than even Wisconsin runs I mean they've even opened it up a little bit so I when I see this I just it's hard to get excited about this Iowa team I think in my opinion
0: yeah I was. I was watching this game with my mom and she was asking me, you know, she's a Georgia fan as well. She was like, well, who do we want to win this game in terms of, you know, who will stay in the top four thus and maybe be a team that Georgia would play in the playoff. And I was like, well, I think we'd rather have, I know Iowa's the higher ranked team, but I was like, I think we'd rather play Iowa because yeah. that offense is stagnant against middling competition, much less what they would do against a defense like Georgia and i was a team that has to run the ball well to have any mm. effectiveness and even if they do run the ball all right you know if you can get them in some in some third and medium third and long like spencer Petris is not going to beat you most of the time you know so i again i was not impressed with iowa i was rooting damn hard for him because i had money on it and again i wanted that was one of our picks that we had opposite going into the week but um but yeah this iowa i had, there's a buddy that i work with who I walked in, he was like, yeah, number one and number two, because he's an Iowa fan and knows <laughs> I'm a Georgia fan. I was like, yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> hang on to it while it lasts, buddy, because that team, that team is not the second best team in the country. If they played Alabama tomorrow, it wouldn't be close.
1: Oh, well look, so, they, they mustered up only three more points than Auburn could muster up against Penn state. And at this point, that's really not saying much.
0: Yeah. they the offensive struggles. Well noted. Um, but an interesting point about, and again, rankings at this point don't really matter. We're still talking AP poll, but Penn State drops to seven. Only drops three, which you know they lose to the what is now considered the second best team in the country. But I had a thought when thinking about how far they would fall because do the pollers rank them, assuming Sean Clifford comes back? Because then I think number seven makes sense. But if you're if you're ranking it based off how they look with the backup, depending on what that injury is like. I don't think they're a top ten, maybe not even a top fifteen team. They they looked so bad under Roberson.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point because see, I I don't really know. Do you know the extent of his injuries,
0: or are you just saying that based off the game? I don't. I don't. I actually Big college football workplace I have. Uh, there's a guy in, my, in the office who is a Penn State grad, and I was talking to him, and he's like, yeah, they haven't said too much about the injury. And in, in college, you don't really expect them to, really. Um, it's not like the NFL where they have to put out constant injury report kind of things after practice. So, who knows? But I think Penn State does have a bye week next week and play Ohio State in a couple of weeks, so they mm-hmm. will definitely be hoping that Clifford is able to make it back because as down on Ohio State as we both are, If they don't have Clifford going into that game, that's going to get ugly in a hurry as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But one of the last headlines, speaking of getting absolutely ugly, time, I've been waiting. How many minutes did I make it into the podcast before we bring Uh, it up? Just about 25. How about them dogs, like, going into Jordan hair and pouring it on the Tigers? I don't even have the score in front of me. I don't even need the score in front of me. It's a beat down. But... I want to give you the floor first here, Lath, especially as I look at this score here. Yeah, thirty-four to ten, Georgia covering comfortably with a backup quarterback Stetson Bennett, who, again, I think at this point, a lot of teams in the country, Penn State for one, would love our backup quarterback. <laughs> but I just want to hand the floor to you first, Lath, as as the gentleman that I am, to expound <sighs> upon your thoughts and feelings watching that as an Auburn fan,
1: man. You know what I think? You know what? This is just <laughs> just watching this game. I think. <laughs> this game. This game, This game, any game, Auburn, I just I miss having a good offense so bad. Like you could tell me that we could have the worst defense in the FBS, but our offense is still really good and we could still lose games. And I think I would make that trade because I am just so sick of having just hope, oh maybe, okay, if our defense just holds this one out, then we may be able to get a squeak in a field goal here and be in a good position. We just gotta keep playing well on defense. It's just it's just not a fun team to watch, man. And I I'm just I'm sick of it. I I know you you talked a bit about um, not having Gary Danielson as the broadcaster, but I think the fact that Aaron Murray was calling this game, we really got some good insight into Bo Nix's woes and the problems with him. He made one of the best points that I've seen. Uh, And remember, this was a guy that ran that Bobo offense back when he was in school at Georgia. So the thing that he said that really stuck out to me was that Bo Nix goes through his progressions before the play even develops. And one of these was just a stop and go that we would have had a touchdown on. It was a stop and go that he was open. He'd created separation. But Bo had looked to the left and had already gone to the right and was starting to bail. And the line hadn't even started crumbling at this point. That's just complete decision-making and just get go doing things too fast for his own good. I just, uh, this is one of those games where, you know, for the past couple weeks, I've been looking at Auburn and going, okay, we've had our hiccups, but we're still kind of, we're in the mix of things technically. But when you look at this, you really start to kind of think, man, this is, we're not going to be a good team this year. This we're kind of, we've kind of hit our ceiling on some things and there's, it's not really great to expect much more, but, I mean, we gave up on the rushing game a lot earlier than I'd liked. First drive, we looked really good, but a lot of that was, you know, play callings. And you get that sense as an Auburn fan. You see that we were kind of doing just enough to kind of get down the field. It never felt like we really had a handle on the game. Um, but yeah, that that's my rant on it. I just, obviously, you know, every, even time, even when Auburn is terrible, I go into this game thinking, Oh, you know what? Maybe, ah, maybe we'll all surprise us. Maybe, maybe we'll show up for them. But, that was just not the
0: case today or Saturday. Yeah, blind optimism. I know that feeling. It's not Arsenal fan, believe me, uh, <laughs> but it's uh. Yeah, nothing to nothing to disagree with there. Uh, catch your breath, get a drink there. Yeah, that was that was a <laughs> solid minute or whatever you went rambling there. But that's that's good though. Get it, let it out, let it out. Um, you, talk, you talk about yeah, Auburn giving up on the run game relatively early. Only ended up rushing it 19 times as opposed to well over 40 passing attempts. But can you really call it abandoning the run game against a Georgia defense where they just basically make you quit the run game? Like that's honestly just making a business decision. Like hey. This just isn't gonna work, even with guys like Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, and that Shivers dude, who's who's honestly was pretty impressive in the in the few snaps that he got. But that defense is just smothering, and you know, as a Georgia fan, and really as as any Georgia the state of Georgia base fan, whether you're Falcons, Braves, Dogs, whatever, it's just this constant kind of fear. Of, of something bad happening. You know, you're very – even even with a team as dominant as Georgia, when Auburn went right down the field and got into the red zone, yeah, I didn't think Auburn was going to go put up 28 points on us. But I was like, okay, I kind of didn't want this to happen on the first drive, you know. But Georgia holds them to a field goal and then turns it over to an offense that I was both a little disappointed in and also very impressed with in this game because it's no secret. That I am not. It's not that I'm not a Stetson Bennett fan. I honestly, at this point, there's some Georgia. If there's any Georgia fans out there who are still giving this guy hate, just bleep yourself. Like seriously, because this dude has given more to this program than anybody, and he didn't have to. Could have. Nobody would have blamed him at all if he had transferred after last season, knowing again that he wasn't going to be the starter and having a few games, a few solid games last year. But he comes back for his fifth year, senior year. Knowing he's going to be the backup and has been a huge reason as to why we're the number one team in the country right now, because I don't know that if you know Brock Vandegrift, a true freshman, or or you know whoever else at quarterback would have been, Carson Beck would have been able to come in and lead the offense the way the way that Stetson has. Now, with that said, I don't want to see him start next week against Kentucky if he doesn't have to. But great game from him, 14 of 21, 231 yards, two TDs. He did have an underthrow to Lad McConkey that would have been a touchdown. Where I was like, "Man, JT Daniels, that's a touchdown for him." But then he 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 got himself right back and did throw a bomb to LeCon- or Lad McConkey later in the game um, <laughs> that ended up in a touchdown. So I hope this finally shuts the hell up, people like you a little bit a couple weeks ago, but but let's less, less say so you more just other people on the internet who I shouldn't be wasting time listening to, saying that, oh, Georgia hasn't had to throw the ball. Well, they did today, and Auburn couldn't stop it at all. So um, well, excited, excited about that.
1: You know, this is also an Auburn defense that going in has given up way too much in the air. I'm not questioning the ability to throw the ball, and I think he offers a lot in terms of mobility that even Daniels can't provide. Auburn's defensive woes continue to shine in the uh in the passing game and just (laughs) I just because I got to finish my rant on Auburn a little bit I know I've really put down Bo Nix but at least 10 drops in this game I've heard some people say more some of them I think were bad throws that it you know I wouldn't expect them to catch anyway but I say 10 at least that should have been caught by any uh, decent receiver in college football so that's something we got to fix going forward
0: yeah, and that's one of the few, again, a talent of Georgia fans is to find something wrong with every win. And we definitely did let Auburn have several big passes that could have been completed that they could just catch the dang ball. Mm. You know? So I could think of a few that would have not changed the game but either extended a drive or maybe put some points up on the board that Auburn weren't able to capitalize on. Um, but looking at, at Georgia's offense again, Yes, they threw the ball well, but they also just a clinic running the ball. Zamir White, 79 yards, two TDs. Kendall Milton had 40 yards. Stetson Bennett had 40 yards. James Cook had 35 yards. You know, so being able to just, whenever one guy, not even gets tired, but just gets even just a little breathing heavy, can bring in another five-star, another stud running back to come who's just completely fresh. That's such an advantage, especially in SEC football where you get late in the game. I want to say... Georgia's final possession, we they ran it like eight straight times and and just marched it down the field because, you know, when you can get late in a game where a defensive front is tired but the running backs for your team just aren't at all like that's that's a big advantage when it comes to closing out games and again huge game for Ladd McConkey five receptions 135 yards and a touchdown saw a little bit less of Brock Bowers than I would have liked he's a dude who I think is on his day maybe the best option for our offense but good to see darnell washington back getting his first catch Cowley. of the season did you yeah, look dude, that man's
1: size is on did you see the, he, the pass he, interference call he just looked like a big kid bullying someone i don't know what anyone is supposed to do on that man yeah the,
0: and the commentator said as much i mean <laughs> i think darnell washington is something like six 250 in that poor corner who's not an undersized corner i think he's over six foot that already six two uh, Darnell Washington goes up, stabs the ball one handed, ends up dropping it or ending up out of bounds. But they call pass interference, and you're right. The commentator was like, "What do you want that corner to do?" <laughs> like, because the 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 grabbing wasn't egregious. They were both kind of tussling with each other. But yeah, at minimum, if you're that defender, you got to be living in Darnell's pocket and hoping you can just kind of push him a little bit with it and get away with it. But big big win for Georgia. They move to number one ahead of. A third game day appearance so far this season and second time in Athens in just three weeks when Kentucky comes to Athens this weekend. I will be there. Haven't missed a home game yet. Super excited about that one. Also excited, I kind of pulled like a stock market switcheroo last week. I bought my ticket um, from another Georgia student um, for for pretty cheap, like only like $70 um, because I wanted to make sure I got it before Kentucky because I had a feeling they would win against LSU, making this an undefeated matchup and potentially a game day game. It's like, yeah, I want to go and get this early. And now they're expensive, man. Uh, mm. Going for as high as 200 in some places for sure. Um, so glad I was able to get that one. But, yeah, not too, too much to add for Georgia other than just want to hear you say it, Leif. This has got to make Georgia the best team in the country, right? It's not just a ranking at this point. That's I think we gotta we got to start really believing in this Georgia team if you weren't already.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was Georgia and Bama and everybody else, and now Bama somehow loses. So I think, yeah, I'll give it to you. Georgia's probably or Georgia is the best team in the country at the moment. Yeah, but it's
0: now the pressure's on because <laughs> I think what, I think the last time Georgia was number one was my freshman year in 2017, and did end up making the uh, the national championship. We all know how all that went, uh, mm. but when you look at Georgia's the, re- the road the rest of the way yes they have Kentucky yes Kentucky is the number 11 team in the country yes Georgia is 22 point favorites at home and I, I want to take this again before we get off the subject I know we've been on it for quite a bit but you had a little rant I'm gonna have a mini rant here <laughs> you talked about I talked about Georgia throwing it all over you and you're not wrong when you say Auburn doesn't have the greatest pass defense and we held y'all to just 10 points, and you're not wrong in saying that Auburn doesn't have the best offense, but they had been averaging well over that in their previous games, even against teams like LSU and Penn State.
1: Yeah.
0: I think it's about dang time people quit acting like Georgia hasn't really played anybody. they have I know that a lot of these teams they've beaten who were ranked high at the time have since showed to be maybe something less, especially Clemson, and then Arkansas, again, who was a top 10 team when they beat them, has since lost another one. But I saw, like, a thing on Twitter, Danny Canella tweeted something, which he's just, there's no reason to even read that fucking asshole's Twitter <laughs> account because it's just SEC hate. But it said something like like a, stat, a statistic of Georgia's opponents' ranking, like offensive rankings in terms of, like, yards and, and points, like rankings in the country. And, like, nobody was inside, like, the top 30 and I saw a tweet that had like a, a a photoshopped guy holding up a sign like at a marathon like an advertising sign, and it said maybe these teams had rank bad offensively because they played Georgia <laughs> like <laughs> everybody's getting shut like Arkansas you saw what Arkansas score 50 points against Ole Miss and get shut out by us Auburn who was averaging over 30 points a game only scored 10 you know maybe it's I'm I'm tired of at this point we'll have played a top five Clemson team at the time, a top 10 Arkansas team at the time, the number 11 K- Kentucky team at the time. And then we're going to play a ranked Florida team when it comes around to it in the Georgia Florida game. So, you know, there's, there people are going to find a way to hate, but I'm tired of the narrative that somehow, even though they've played all these ranked teams that Georgia hasn't played anybody. So,
1: yeah. And then it's uh who do you want them to play if they haven't played anybody? Cause anybody that we thought was going to be a power team, uh, this year has struggled against lesser teams so i don't know who you who who do you want to match up against them and
0: say okay this is finally that they've played someone i don't know like you want to see us go play iowa sure sign me the fuck up right now i'll (laughs) i'll go to that game iowa city you know sign me up for oregon anybody in the pac-12 hell you can put three teams together and best players combine them i'll take that but all right. Cautious off <laughs> yeah, it's a little that's a little much. I don't know. First we just gotta get past easy. Kentucky and then and then a Florida game uh after the bye week. But uh lastly just other quick notables in college football. And if you haven't picked up on it already, this is gonna be a really college football heavy podcast. Already has been not a ton of soccer news, but we will get to a little bit of that at the end. But other notables across the board in college football. Michigan survives a road test against Nebraska. They win thirty two twenty nine. That was one where a lot of people were looking at that spread. I think it was Michigan minus three or minus four, something like that. We're like, wait, undefeated Michigan against a Nebraska team that's already lost two or three times? Why is that spread so tight? Well, again, Vegas knows something we don't. Nebraska puts up a a good fight, but Michigan outlasts them. I will say, I think Michigan – curious your thoughts on this. Is Michigan – do we still think Michigan is probably the best team in the Big Ten? Uh no. Or I, do we Or
1: do we still think it's a team like Ohio State? I still think it's Ohio State. I think when Ohio State's clicking, they're the best team in that conference. And I'm, I'm starting my – you know, I had my campaign against Notre Dame for being fraud. I'm about to gear up my Michigan campaign pretty soon because I'm not as impressed
0: with them as some people are. Well, I'm a big – I've been on the gym, Harbaugh as a fraud for – how, I mean, how old am I? Like, I mean, for a long time, like four years, five years, ever, basically ever since they hired Harbaugh because he's never beaten Ohio State. He's mm. lost to Michigan State a couple times. They've never even played for a Big Ten title game. So, yes, I'll, I'm will i in full believe it when I see it with Michigan. But I will say, as a Georgia fan, I, I think I'm rooting for Iowa actually to run the table <laughs> and be the team that comes out of the Big Ten in the yeah. playoff because I don't really want a piece of Ohio State if I can avoid it. And same I think I think Georgia would handle Michigan because Michigan's a team that has to run the ball to play well and Auburn, or Georgia, excuse me, doesn't let teams run the ball on them at all. But I think I think Georgia would blow out an Iowa team whereas Michigan Ohio State probably a little closer but a lot of football left to start thinking about that. Then another uh, potential playoff hopeful, BYU. <laughs> Their playoff hopes are dashed with a loss against Boise State. Just want to bring this up because I, mm. I occasionally listen back to our podcast. It's not like this is a super hot take coming from you, lath, but it became a freezing cold take with this loss. Just want to – I wish I had the audio. If we were a professional podcast, I actually would go find the audio and edit this into it. Maybe I will. There's still time. But <laughs> Laith saying uh, – don't sleep on BYU, and I respond with, yeah, I think I'll sleep on them. Well, there you go. And lastly, Kentucky beating LSU, staying undefeated, setting up again the game-day matchup we mentioned in Athens this Saturday. So who would have thought? Last two SEC undefeated teams, Kentucky and Georgia.
1: Well, I want to see, do you think that Orgeron's on the hot seat? Because I'm at the position that I think Orgeron is a glorified strength coach at this point. Do you think that it's enough? I know it's just uh, two years removed, but there's some murmurings. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I don't. he doesn't bring much, in my opinion. And I think, I mean, Auburn fired Chiswick pretty soon after he won a championship. Do you think it's too soon to
0: start talking about getting rid of uh, Orgeron? No, it's not too soon, but I think it will happen, but not because of, of what's already transpired or a little bit of what Transpire will have a play in it. But looking at their schedule ahead, they host Florida, probably a loss. They travel to Ole Miss, probably a loss. They travel to Alabama, definitely a loss. They host Arkansas, probably a loss. Get Louisiana Monroe, and then host Texas A&M, which at this point you got to think is probably a loss. So if they lose those games that I've labeled as probably a loss – that would bring let's see, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight losses on the season. I don't think that would allow them a winning record there. Um, let's see how many wins do they have currently. Yeah, three and three. If they lose eight more, they give them two. yeah eleven losses. No chance at a winning record. Yeah, I think you'd see Orgeron go um, certainly at season's end if they lose all those games. Probably even if they manage to beat a team like A and M, but if they still lose they still lose 10 games (laughs) like that's not lsu man and those those people down there i happen to know a few lsu fans i've been to some great games i went to uh auburn lsu the year that lsu won the national championship great environment but it's not a great environment when that team ain't winning and those fans will turn on them for sure and i think they already have
1: Hmm.
0: but yeah that's about the last headline from college football again we'll Toss this in there because my dad's an FSU guy. North Carolina, they take the mantle from AM, officially becoming the most disappointing team in college football. We got preseason potential dark horse for the playoffs, Sam Howell, potential Heisman candidate. What do they go and do? Lose to the worst team in the ACC, Florida State, and it really wasn't close. They lose 35 25, bringing their record on the year to a paltry 3 and 3. So. It's not as if we were wasting a whole lot of breath talking about UNC, but we definitely won't be anymore. And with that, week four in the NFL. We've got more coming up later tonight with Ravens-Colts. But let's recap what's already happened this weekend. Lath, I want to start with Bill's Chiefs last night. Bill's taking care of business in a rematch of last year's AFC Conference Championship game. This time, the Buffalo Boys winning 38-10. Is this a changing of the guard in the AFC, Lay?
1: It appears to be. I mean, I think that the biggest thing that you can take from this game, this was a game where the Bills dominated, and they did not even lean on uh, Stephon Diggs. I know on my fantasy team, he finished with eight points, which was all pretty much garnered on one catch. Uh, Josh Allen spread the ball around. They did some running. Josh, man, Josh Allen's just so good. This team and defensively, they stifled a really good offense. Granted, a one that's been struggling, but Bills just look like the real deal. You, you don't no team beats the Chiefs thirty-eight to twenty the way they did, and that was just really impressive to see.
0: Yeah, Josh Allen, fifteen of twenty-six for three hundred fifteen yards and three touchdowns. Much of that coming in the first half. I know he had almost thirty fantasy points in that first half. So really impressive game from him. Bills, a stat that I uncovered. Not that I had to do too much digging. I think it literally appears on the first page of a Google search when you look at their record. But Bills currently lead the NFL in points scored and fewest points allowed. So hmm. this isn't even like some of the the really good Chiefs teams of the past couple of years where, yeah, they had a great offense, but they absolutely had to lean on it because they couldn't stop anybody. This Bills team looks like they can win either way. And apart from kind of a shocking loss to a Steelers team that has proven to not be very good in Week 1, the Bills have just rolled in their last three games. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, Bill's looking looking the part for a Super Bowl favorite in the AFC. And looking at the Chiefs on the other side, of course you never want to count out Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. I mean, that's a long – I could keep going with some of the guys they've got. But it is a long road back for them. They're now last in their division and two games back of a Chargers team that has looked really strong through four games this season. They come off a big win over the Browns in a shootout. Ask you this here, Leith: Are they clearly the second best team in the AFC, or would you still lean toward a team like maybe the Chiefs, or maybe the Ravens, or or, or anybody else? But I'd, I'd be interested to hear your argument for yes or no on the Chargers. There,
1: uh, I, th- I would definitely not say the Ravens. I'm, I mean, we we sh- kind of share. I our... wouldn't either, but I just yeah. threw it in there. <laughs> we we share our uh, our opinion on Lamar Jackson, but yeah, I I, th- I think that Buffalo and the Chargers are the toast. Of this conference, They're, those they just a light years better than everybody. Um, that, that those are the teams that I want to see deep in the
0: playoffs and uh, going to get it against each other. Excuse me, I think I misspoke earlier when I said this was week four. This was week five of the NFL. My standings on on Google have not updated with uh, with the latest win, so I think yeah, I think I'm talking about the Chiefs. They are well behind in that division, obviously, and the Raiders and Broncos looking. Well, not so much the Broncos, but Raiders. Raiders look like they could keep them down there. But yeah, talking about the Chargers, that AFC West is just tough, man. Yeah, um, especially the Chargers looking as good as they do. Not a, uh, you know, they they've got my boy Austin Eckler, who I have on fantasy, who's had another huge fantasy day, which big win for for my team in the league I care about. I think I'm close <laughs> to getting off the winless streak yeah. in in the league that we're both in. I don't have the score in front of me. But I have Antonio Brown and Tom Brady, and the Bucks just rolled with those two uh, this week. But, but yeah, in kind of rounding out the NFL headlines. How much of that Bengals-Packers game did you see? Because that had one of the more interesting stat lines I've ever seen in an NFL game.
1: I actually was not able to watch that game, but I kept seeing the notifications on my phone, and it
0: had to have been wild. So, if you missed it, game ends up going to overtime, which who would have thought, really, Bengals Packers would have gone to overtime preseason. Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow going at it. But five missed go ahead slash game winning field goals in the final two minutes of that game plus overtime. Basically, the worst yips, you know, whatever you want to call it, performance of kickers I've ever seen. Most of it coming from Mason Crosby, the Packers kicker, who entering the game had made 27 straight field goals. On well, this one, he missed a couple of extra points and three of those five field goals that I mentioned um, were on them. So the Packers, m- many more opportunities to win that, um, but they did their best to give it away and so did the Bengals. But ultimately, Mason Crosby able to make make the one that, that counts, which is the last one, and they get a win um, against the Bengals. But a tough, tough loss to the Bengals. I'm not going to say I'm too disappointed about it as a guy who kind of roots for the Browns because that would have actually put them a game back of the Bengals and would have moved the Bengals to 4-1, actually. would have been a really strong start for them. But, <clears throat> but the Packers do what the Packers do, and they somehow find a way to win. So, I think that just about wraps our football coverage for the pod as we're damn near into 50 minutes of it here. We'll take a quick break, come back with our picks and football and soccer and a little bit of soccer news that developed over the week with the Newcastle buyout, which... I've tasked Lath with researching some about We'll see if he actually did it here coming up. Welcome back to the second part of the show where, in this instance, we switch over to the other side of the pond and talk some international soccer. International break this week, so all of our club favorites are off. I for- forgot to mention that uh, in the last podcast where we did make some soccer picks. So if you're waiting for some new ones, we actually have the same ones as last week because those games haven't happened yet. But some things did happen, most notably got some World Cup qualifiers, a Nations League final. But I want to start, lathe with Newcastle United. A big Saudi buyout had been in the works for the past couple of years. They finally get it over the line. As far as I understand it, it's basically like the government of Saudi Arabia coming in and purchasing the club. I saw some figures that try to estimate the value of that ownership and it has them like way 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 richer than even the owners of City and PSG. So, I know you've looked into it. Give us what you've got and your understanding of what this buyout means for Newcastle and the rest of the Premier League.
1: Yeah, so it's the uh, the Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, which basically that's their government-owned investment fund, like you said. Deal was worth 320 million euros, which while that sounds like a lot in terms of buying a soccer club in today's market, that's not a bad deal. Uh, they'll own 80% of the club. The other 20% will be split between another British kind of firm and then um, an individual named Amanda Stavely who also kind of helped broker the Manchester City deal a few seasons past. But I think when you look at this, I know Newcastle fans are optimistic. Uh, I think there's a good reason for them to be. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the kind of trend of buying soccer clubs nowadays, you see it in the Italian market and it's usually trying to find those undervalued clubs. And you know, the reason for purchasing them is because you want to see the growth and they want to make some money. It's, it's, it's less about sporting reasons and more about kind of clout and gaining a kind of a financial access in that regard. But when you look at this, uh, purchase and you compare that to kind of the other bigger, uh, governmental sides that have purchased clubs, this is more about image. And when I say that, you know, there's all this stuff, all this talk about the human rights violations, some of which, which is why it took so long for this deal to develop. But I think that you can look at that and say, okay, this is less motivated by finance and making money and more motivated on trying to clean up your image, own a club and kind of get back on good terms with people. So I think when you go about it and add at the attitude and what you can expect for this club, if you're a Newcastle fan, is that this is going to be uh, a new management that's going to spend money. They're not going to be worried too much about financial success and are going to be more concerned with building the club to a way that, that is able to be attractive and that is going to be able to compete uh, in the top stages of the Premier League.
0: Yeah, certainly, again, their valuation, something unreal, like hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, they've got it, not growing on trees, but literally flowing out of the ground with all the oil that they've got over there. So, again, money not an issue at all, clearly. But yeah, income because there's there's direct comparisons to be made. I mean, PSG did a similar thing not too long ago with with rich Arab owners coming in and making that club what it is now. Same thing with Manchester City. More that's really a more direct comparison, being you know in the Premier League. And it took City a while. I mean, the better part of I think I think that buyout happened in the mid 2000s and they started challenging for titles around 2010, 2011, 2012 and they certainly become the dynasty that they are now. Do you see a similar trajectory for Newcastle because obviously they'll they'll have the money. But it's also Newcastle, England, like that's a dreary place. I've been there before or driven or rode a train through it on the way to Scotland before. It's a, gr- it's a rich footballing city. You know, Alan Shearer, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Premier League goal scorers of all time, or English top flight goal scorers of all time. A Newcastle man through and through. They've had success in the distant past. They've been basically a mid-table team slash bottom half-table team in the past, basically, since we've started watching. But I don't know. Of course, Manchester City was absolutely nothing when those owners came in and got them. They weren't even mm-hmm. in the top flight. Basically, do you do you see them becoming a city? And if so, how fast? Because it's tricky. Just because you have money doesn't mean all your problems go away, but it's certainly a lot easier to fix your problems with money than without it. You're right. And I don't
1: know if anybody would expect them to expedite that kind of success, but it, you know, it's going to come down to building that team. And the reason that I'm optimistic also is you, you look at Leeds. I know they've kind of had an up-and-down season, but there was a time when they were terrible. They get a little bit of an investment, and that's another kind of gritty area that mainly – The success is just from past brand exposure or the historical success of the team and then the sheer number of people in that leads area so i think you can kind of look at this geographically and historically from the standpoint of this is a team that has some history it's a team it's not going to be too hard to build a brand and kind of build a character around and i i think when you when you combine those two things with the fact that they're going to have a lot more money than usual you can be pretty optimistic
0: yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I worry about it as an Arsenal fan. Cause it's just like <laughs> we're having our we have our hands full making top six as it is. Much less you add a team like Newcastle, who's all of a sudden gonna have a lot more money than us. You know, um, they become probably in four or five years, you got to think of them as a big seven team. You know, so we'll see how that goes down the line. But again, I I think the Premier League better be on notice because we we've just seen what money does to teams. It it makes them better. It may take two years, may take five, may take 10, but you know, it's kind of like the cast a wide net, the law, the law of large numbers. Like if you keep throwing money at it, eventually it'll work, but we'll just have to see. It'll depend on what kind of manager they can come to go in there. Yeah. Um, Excuse me, get to go in there, but, but we're just very much, we'll, we'll wait and see and, and how attractive that location will become for potential transfers. Uh, I'd be really interested to see who the first big-name transfer is and who that will be, or excuse me, uh, when that will be. But, yeah, basically the only other headline going on uh, this past weekend in, in soccer, some international play. Lath, you're probably like me, don't care too much about the Nations League, but it technically is a major tournament now that started about a couple years ago. Well, France, they beat Spain 2-1 to one in the final of the Nations League. Benzema and Mbappe lead Le Bleu with a goal each. With that, France becomes the first national team to win four major tournaments, which that is a cool stat, but of course that wasn't possible five years ago before the Nations League existed. So, but props to France, getting it done. I think we have long thought and still think, despite Italy's win in, in the Euros, that France is still probably the best team in Europe, if not the world. So... Good win for them. And then elsewhere in World Cup qualifying, CONCACAF is still raging uh, after a nice rebound. I know it's been a couple pods since we talked about the United States. We're kind of floundering in the first few games of their World Cup qualifying. Well, they rebounded nicely, but just, I think it was either last night or two nights ago, they lose to Panama on the anniversary of being knocked out of World Cup qualifying by Panama four years ago. The red, white, and blue currently sit in third But again, I had no idea actually how long this qualifying process was. I thought we were kind of coming towards the end of it here, Joe. But no, still about half of the matches remain. Um, But U.S. sit-in third. And again, top, the way CONCACAF qualifying works, if I understand it correctly, because it changes like every freaking year. But top three qualify automatically. The fourth is entered in some sort of playoff scenario. So U.S.A. definitely trying to lock in. A third place spot but like any any thoughts on USA and Greg Berghalter's team through half the qualifying
1: I keep wanting to call him Greg Bergermeister I, I don't know what's what what's up with that but yeah I, I don't know I, I don't I don't watch a ton of these games it's hard to get excited about U.S. soccer because I feel like even when we have the talent the play style is just kind of gross but maybe they can pull it out uh and as for the Nations League I feel like is it just me or are they always playing that tournament I feel like every time it's an international break, break, it's it's Nations League is being played.
0: Well, yeah, there's quite a bit of group stage games, and then there's also, I think, at least a four-round knockout stage as well. I might be wrong on that. Listeners, feel free to check me, all six of you. So, um, but yeah, kind of a – I'm not super concerned. Obviously, I hate to lose to a team like Panama, but from what I gathered, the U.S. didn't really start anywhere close to their best lineup, which I don't get why – I don't think these games are all that close together to where you, you couldn't at least kind of go half and half, rest some guys, but start the other ones. But bites them in the ass and they lose. But a long time to, to hopefully get it right. But, again, we know nothing is, is guaranteed with this U.S. team, again, who did not qualify for the last World Cup. So need need to get right this time. All right, well, it is approaching Monday Night Football O'Clock here on the East Coast, so we will wrap things up with our picks for the upcoming weekend. I do think we get soccer this week. Yes, we do. So we'll go ahead and just quickly rehash our soccer picks, which we did make last week. Um, so if you wrote them down, you've already got them. But top matches, Bayern at Leverkusen, number one versus number two in the Bundesliga. We both have Bayern winning comfortably. Inter at Lazio, big one in Serie A. I like a draw. Leith has 2-1 to Inter. Wouldn't be mad if that happens, to be fair. And then Roma at Juve, also in Serie A with a double header. I like one nil to Juve, and their lathe has a draw. And now, the big ones here in college football. Big week, but not quite as big as last week. Honestly, looking through the schedule, I reached here on one game that I wanted to see. You didn't bring it up free, pod to see like why I threw this game in there at the end. But it's because, really, it's a fun one, I think, and there's not that many other big ones. But we start with a big one. Number 12, Oklahoma State at number 25, Texas Longhorns looking to, again, get up off the mat after a brutal loss against Oklahoma. The Longhorns are six-point favorites at home. I think they rebound, get a nice win, 35-24.
1: Yeah, I think Texas is kind of starting to find themselves offensively, Uh, and Oklahoma State is just way too inconsistent. I got the Longhorns 38-20.
0: Next up in the SEC, where game day will be, again, as I mentioned, for the second time in three weeks at Sanford Stadium. Number 11 Kentucky takes on the number 1 team in the land, the Georgia Bulldogs, Georgia 22 point favorites at opening. Line probably may even move higher by the time we actually make it to that game. Dogs roll here. I like 42 13 although that is right on that spread just about. So, be a close cover for the dogs.
1: Yeah, I got Georgia pulling this one out 35 to 10. Uh yeah,
0: Cinderella run for Kentucky. Ends this Saturday. And lastly, the one I threw in at the end that I'm actually kind of interested to watch if I can – I don't know what time it comes on. It may be during the Georgia game and I might miss it, but, again, not that big of a deal. So, number 22, NC State, the Wolf Pack, space in between Wolf and Pack, notable because you have Nevada also, which they are the Wolf Pack, but they are one word, so <laughs> the more you know. The, the space Wolf Pack travel to Boston College – Boston College two point underdogs at home. BC has won me a bet once this year already covering against Clemson, and I like them to do it again, getting a close win thirty to twenty eight over NC State.
1: Yeah, this is I, I did think this is interesting just because I didn't expect it to be on here. But I like the Boston College team. Uh twenty seven, twenty one. Boston College wins over the space Wolfpack. Gotta love a
0: home dog and Lathe copying me straight chalk again you can't really make up any ground if you don't if you don't i also picked this one because i kind of thought you'd disagree with me i kind of thought you'd go into state but we <laughs> shall see and then moving on to the nfl cardinals at browns browns again tough loss against the chargers last week cardinals are the only undefeated team remaining they're now sitting at five and zero, and yet the browns are two and a half point favorites at home Got to stick with my Brownies here. I think they rebound. I like a close one, though. Not a cover, even at two and a half points. They win 27-26.
1: Yeah, I got Browns winning a close one, 28-7. Hard to imagine them losing two games in a row the way they are.
0: This is a good football team. They're going to write the ship this week. Close one being 28-27. I think he accidentally said 28-7. to Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, my bad. But, yeah. Next up, Cowboys at the Pats. Patriots three and a half point underdogs at home I do love a home dog typically in betting but Cowboys I think just look too strong last week they get another win closer but it'll be 28 to 24
1: yeah I like Mac Jones I think he's really been developing well but Cowboys have just looked a lot better than they have in recent seasons they get the dub
0: 31 20 and lastly Bills as we mentioned have been rolling off a big win against Kansas City they travel to Tennessee to take on the Titans Titans, four-and-a-half point home underdogs. Again, too strong opposition coming into town. 37-27 Bills for me.
1: Yeah, Bills' defense is strong, and they'll be more focused on the run. Really got to see if Tannehill can get the air game going. I don't think so. I think this one ends 35-17 with a Bills dub.
0: All right, well, those are the picks. And, you know, without too much... Uh, bragging here i've handling lathe pretty well so far through the picks but again we both need some wins in the nfl um to get to get that season record back on track well thanks again for listening to us as always hope you enjoyed the new intro music debuting here um, for the first time on this episode (laughs) shout out if you can guess the song um if we have actually you have no way to contact us whatsoever i guess other than leaving a review but we'll we'll find a way to make it worthwhile to anybody who can guess that song if we don't have to take it down for copyright reasons before too long so thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next week